On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, we are joined by the star of the Travis and Sliwa Show from 710 ESPN Radio in Los Angeles, the Alan Sliwa. He is also the host of pregame and postgame for the Los Angeles Lakers. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or at SteveMason.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, this is episode number 203. Whoa. Yeah. And, that's, and, and uh, our last two guests have been Simone Ashley, the star of Bridgerton, and uh, Glenn Powell, the star of Top Gun Maverick. And so I thought, who could we possibly get to follow them up? But the great Alan Sliwa. Slee, welcome to the Culture Pop <laughs> Podcast. How you doing, man? I made it. I finally made it. Yes. 203? 203. Mm. I'll take it. I'll take we it. We considered you a while back and then thought, no, no, let's let's <laughs> let's give it a little bit more time to bake. Uh, no, I'm glad I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad. To, first of all, the the flush of the Mandy Awards is still here. Uh, what did you think of the Mandy Awards? Were you uh, were you excited? What was your emotion? Um, I, honestly, it was one of the coolest things. So just being in radio for as long as I have, which since I was 19 years old, I don't think I've ever been a, far, a part of a, an event like that. So just the, um, I guess just seeing all these people that really like the radio station, sometimes we're just doing this on a day-to-day basis and we almost kind of forget that there are people who really, really kind of they spend a lot of time with us on a daily basis, and it's so easy to forget that. So I think that's what stood out the most to me. Um, Travis and I walking away with nothing was awesome. You know, just so <laughs> yeah. fitting to see our progress and see it all come, <laughs> see it all come to fruition on one night. <laughs> I felt bad for you over there. I was like, "Come on, there's so many trophies. Let's let's send one over to the everyone got Travis one. and Slee with yeah, everyone got one. yeah." Just about, just about. Um, so this was your first experience to the whole uh, awards night thing. What, what was your thought? Well, I have to tell you, I was very impressed um, production-wise. Uh, Jorge did an amazing job. The announcing, it, it sounded like the Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah it did. It really did. Um, but what I want to ask both of you guys, and I think I know Steve's, what Steve's answer is going to be, because I know Steve so well, um, how important was it to, I mean, you're saying like it was, it was all fitting that you and Travis didn't win anything uh, prior to the night leading up to the night. Did you really, really want to win? Was it important to you prior? So I, it's funny. Cause I, I think in Travis and I, once the voting was over, we're like, Hey, I don't think we did a good, a, good job here of like actually promoting ourselves of, 
okay, well, what do we want to win? Now, there is one award that asks Lee, Travis campaigned for. So that one, it was like, you kind of thought that was going to be a slam dunk. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, I think it was just a fantastic event to be a part of. But I was also surprised that Travis and I combined came out with a goose egg. That was just, that was a little, that was a little surprising. But the Astley, I think that's the one, that's the one that we thought that we probably had the best shot for. And, uh, and Steve, we lost that one too. We lost. Yeah, you did lose. Yeah. I, but I, to me, that was like one of the big early upsets was how could Ashley lose to Radio 10? Ashley is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the best part too. Lindsay yesterday posting both, she posted photos of both of them just to kind of make sure to let everybody know that she won both. I like that. I, I kind of <laughs> like that. I like that from her. <laughs> so is this, was this um, fans voted? That's, is that how they came up with the winners? Yeah. Yeah. Fans voted online. Okay. Uh, obviously, uh, Scott Kaplan had hired bots or something to yeah. vote for him. It's my I, only thought. The conspiracy theories, I don't know when they started in your head, but I'm ready on Monday when we get back in tomorrow. I'm sure we are, we're all going to have our theories of what happened. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe, I, some, maybe some payola. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Well, I'll tell you a little bit. I, I mean, I'll, since this is the podcast, I'll tell you a little bit more than what I'm going to say on the air. So I actually really wanted to win host of the year. Um, and I thought I was going to win it. So I had saved up like my best, you know, like my mom was there. I was going to dedicate it to my mom and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't get to do all that stuff. So I was bummed for that reason. But if I had to lose, if I wasn't on the board, if I wasn't somebody to choose from in the group, Cap would be right near the top of my list for getting votes. He is he is just a total, total goofball. Total so, goofball. So, so Mace, did you have you pretty much had kind of a speech a speech already envisioned in your head? I knew I was going to dedicate it to my mom. That's that's the extent of what yeah. I was I was going to do. I was just kind of winging it to, to, for I, I I was joking. I have an imprompter ready to go, but no, there was no prompter, uh, and I did not have a speech written out. So everything I was going to say for Ashley, I may just do it tomorrow and just pretend like that sure. we did win. Yeah, reenact it. Reenact it. Yeah, that's what I'll do. So, so Steve um, uh, showed up in a uh, sequence jacket with uh, sequence um, shoes, right? Um, Sliwa, did you uh, did you think prior like what am I going to wear? Was that like a, a, a an important aspect of your appearance? So I was, I was telling my girl this and I, I could have kind of gone a couple different ways on this. I'm not, um, I'm not typically going to wear the loudest thing. So I already kind of knew that I wasn't going to be that loud. However, you know, when Mason's talking about what he was going to wear, John was saying that he's going to rock whatever Russ wore at the, what is it? The Met Gala or whatever yeah. event that was. I'm like, well, I'm going to look like an idiot for not looking like an idiot. <laughs> and true. And I think Travis was adamant. He's like, I'm just wearing a suit. I think Travis was wearing a suit as if he was, you know, going to a wedding or something. So it was going to, he was just going to wear something um, specific. So I just kind of decided in the beginning, they said dress to impress. I always thought of, well, maybe I'll just wear a tux. And then once I knew what my girl was going to wear, I'm like, actually, that will look good together. So I went with the tux. Well, you look very sharp. You look very mm -hmm. sharp. So I want to, so you and I work together every day. And the idea of this podcast is, all right, so let's, let's try to 
not just for us three to sort of form a deeper connection, but to let people know a little bit more about you than, than they might normally get from, from listening to Travis and Sliwa every day. So, and I don't know the answer to this. What is your ethnic background? What is your heritage? So I'm uh, I'm Chaldean. Chaldean are Catholics from Iraq. Okay. So my parents, um, born and raised in Baghdad, Iraq. Mm. And, um, also it's, it's kind of like, there's a, there's like a, a village called Elkush is the village that they grew up in and it's Northern Iraq, North of Baghdad, North of Iraq. And both of my sisters were born there. And I was actually, I, you know, they came, they left during the Iran Iraq war. Saddam Hussein just comes into power. This is back in like 1981, 1982. And, um, they left right around that time. So for me personally, I was born, raised, my whole life's been in the United States. Both my sisters, my parents, uh, uh, born in Iraq, my parents raised there. My sisters, once they were six and three, they moved here to the States as well. Huh. So how much, how much of the culture, the Iraqi culture is ingrained in you being that you, you grew up here? You know, it's funny. Um, so growing up in, in, in East San Diego, El Cajon is, there's about 60,000 Chaldeans, if not more. Really? Um, a, a huge base there. The only other bigger base is in Detroit, Michigan, where there's over 200,000 Chaldeans. Mm. So all I knew growing up was this little pocket of El Cajon that has um, rich, very rich history of Chaldeans. Um, they actually all still kind of live in their own little pocket. However, for me, I think a lot of it is just the friends that I grew up with. A lot of my friends were white and um, because they were the high school I went to, the middle school I went to, um, I think I have still a lot of my culture, but I also am incredibly Americanized as well. So it's kind of this, to be honest, it's kind of like this weird combination. My sisters are a lot more Chaldean, I guess you can call it, than I am. A lot of my cousins, a lot more Chaldean than I am. Um, I'm in this kind of little hybrid where there are some things that are very old school, and then there's other things that are uh, definitely different from a lot of my family. So what's the difference between, because I grew up Catholic, uh, Chaldean is part of the Catholic Church or representative of the Catholic What's What are the differences between like my Catholicism and yours? So I, I think, well, first, just to kind of give some background. Chaldeans are, I'm Christian Catholic, and that's that's really, that's the best way to describe it. So probably not the biggest difference, maybe more old school than traditional. And that's just because a lot of the background is coming from um, an old school country, right? I, I, Chaldeans make up 2%, Catholics make up 2% of Iraq. So, mm. and that, that was back in that was back probably in the late eighties or early nineties. So today what that looks like, I'm not sure what it looks like, but obviously it's a very, very small percentage. 98% of the country is Muslim. Chaldeans, it's, it's actually, it's its own language as well. So it dates back to the Babylon age. It's a form of Aramaic. So it's one of the most, um, one of the most uh, ancient, I guess you could say languages on earth. So when you say what makes us different, not that much different. You you are you are 
Christian Catholic. I am Christian Catholic as well, or at least you were, you know, you were brought up in that. Yep. I think just it's more the region that um, they grew up in is probably a much more old school um, um, take of the Bible than, let's say, somebody who grew up in the States. So were you were you encouraged to um, to date women who were, you know, Christian Catholics or um, Iraqi descent? Is that something that was ingrained in you? Absolutely. Yeah. Really, <laughs> and, and still it is still very, very common um, within the community. So that's not to say, I mean, I had a cousin of mine get married, which she appeared maybe eight, nine months ago, back in October. And she married somebody who's Mexican. And uh, to be completely honest, for our families, um, that's very unique. That's not common. So mm-hmm. now I, I think we're a generation away for where that probably changes because I know for me, you know, my family eventually when I have kids and everything else, it's going to be a lot different. But that's not to say that my sisters who um, still live in El Cajon and are within that community, that's not to say most of my family, immediate family, all married Chaldeans or married somebody of Middle Eastern descent. Mm -hmm. So it's to this day, it's still a very, very, still very, very common. And would it be frowned upon if your sisters married outside of that? Do you think? Um, I think definitely. I'll give you as an example. You know, my girlfriend, she's half Cuban. She's half Colombian. Right. So there are a lot of similarities you can say from how she was brought up. But there's also an incredible amount of differences that sometimes I can't even explain and she can't explain, you know, on her end. It's just like, I don't know, it's kind of, it's, it's very unique. Um, definitely initially, you know, when I started dating her, it was a big surprise to them. It was, um, and I'm just using me as an example because both of my sisters did end up marrying Chaldean. So it's different, but I think for me, it's, it's an example of, yeah, I think there's a lot of, they're getting accustomed to it, but it, it will become more and more normal. It's just when you're first generation, that I, that's kind of, I think, and I, I don't know how common it is for some of the other um, cultures out there, but I think when your parents come from a different country and you're first generation in the States, it's going to take a second, you know what I mean? To um, They want to keep, they're very proud of their tradition. They want to keep their tradition but they also are more and more aware of it's 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 very difficult to do when you're in a country where it's not the country that you grew up. In. Yeah, but you know, like when I was growing, I grew up in New York, and I'm Jewish, and my parents, you know, they were born in the states, but their their parents were not, and it was always uh, it was always an issue. I mean, I remember being in, in in junior high school. I was dating a guy who wasn't Jewish, and my father was like, "You can't date this guy," you know, and I was like. I'm 13. I mean, I'm not marrying this guy, you know? Um, and, but it, it was an issue for a long time uh, in, you know, in my teens and early twenties that, you know, they were like, you know, we, you really need to marry somebody Jewish. And it's ironically, the, the only Jewish guy I ever dated, like hurt me more than any other guy that I had ever been with. So um, yeah, I just curious about that. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I'll take it, you know, a step further as well. And this is, I think, this will probably come with time as well, but even dating is not, um, it's almost frowned upon if you're dating somebody 
that you're not going to marry. Mm. Right. So like mm. if it, I, I didn't grow up in high school and in college, Hey mom, I'm bringing this person home. I want you to meet her because in their mind, if I'm bringing somebody home, that's the person that I'm going to marry. So it's, again, it's, um, you know, you, it's very difficult to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Like, how am I ever going to put myself in my mom's shoes who grew up in Iraq for 35 years of her life? And then the other 35 plus years have been in the States. She is much more, you know, her roots are much more from Iraq than they are here. So it's like, as much as you try to explain or this or that, it's, it's, um, it's tough to do. That's, that's the best way to put it. You know, it's, it must be weird when you're watching the news and you see stories about the Middle East or about Iraq. We obviously had the Iraq war uh, and Saddam was deposed and all that stuff. What, what was that like for you uh, and, and for your family? watching all of that happen, uh, you know, spill out on, on the news on a night-to-night basis. You know, it's interesting, Mace. I remember kind of growing up, um, it's more me observing them, how they felt like, how they felt about the United States invading Iraq and looking for weapons of mass destruction, all that stuff. For them, they didn't care about any of that. What they thought in their mind is, wait a minute, our country potentially gets a chance to get Saddam Hussein pulled out. And for them, and you know, whatever side you're on, you're Republican, you're Democrat, should the United States have gone into war against Iraq? Should they not? The people who are from that country would tell you, go in there and take this guy out. Hmm. We used to have a real country. You know, my mom, she'll tell stories or my grandma or something like that. They used to... They used to have real jobs in Iraq. You know, they, they graduated from universities in, uh, in Iraq. Um, they went to college. They had good jobs. There was, they were, they were living, you know, this Middle Eastern. There was a time in the 60s and the 70s where you thought like, hey, we can really prosper here. This is where we're going to raise our families. They were excited about it. Think about, think about in this country today, and I know it's not apples to apples, but think overnight, somebody's coming in and you're saying to yourself, wow, this guy's going to change the entire country. This guy's going to rule with an iron fist. So I think for them, when there's, when the United States decided they were going to go into, um, into Iraq, there was real true hope that they're going to get their country back, not to go back, but just to get their country back, that they could feel safe of. It wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be odd to say, Hey, we're going to go fly into the Baghdad airport because we want to spend two weeks in a country where we grew up in, and we still have, you know, some family there and everything else. Um, they, they, there was some false hope thinking that those days are going to come back and uh, it never did. Yeah. What, what were the circum when your parents left? Um, I mean, did they have to sneak out? I mean, what, what were the circumstances of them leaving? Yeah, they were ninjas. They were, (laughs) you know, what's, what's crazy is, okay. So they couldn't leave at the same time. So Mm. my dad took, um, my older sister and they went to Europe and basically kind of stayed in Europe for, I don't know, maybe a month or two. My mom eventually worked her way to Tijuana, Mexico. 
and stayed there. Um, mm. She didn't even take my, my younger sister didn't even come with her. You had to make it look like you were coming back to Iraq, right? Right. So you're breaking up the family and doing what you have to do to make it seem like, well, we're definitely going to be coming back. Eventually, it got to Tijuana, and eventually they came across the border and uh, ended up in El Cajon, California. And everybody, uh, um, that by the way, El Cajon, why? Just randomly, um, the church is a big part of the community. So once the church was established there, then you get a lot of folks that kind of start following, and that's what happened. And and where did where did they where did they live? I mean, did they did they know anybody there? Someone take them in or? Yeah, there were there were families. Um, we had families that kind of already started. First, it started with one of our aunts. And um, once you kind of got a couple families that posted up shop, then, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's very random. And I don't know why it's in El Cajon. El Cajon has become a huge, huge base of bringing in refugees. There's mm. a lot of Syrians there. There's a lot of Afghanis there. There's a lot of Iraqis there. There's a lot of, so you have this, and I, I can't, I can't tell you why. And I, I honestly, I don't know if it's because maybe the Chaldeans came first and they took a similar path of like, look, here's an area that is welcoming us. But um, there's a lot of refugees. I mean, even, you know, it wasn't, just look at the last five years, what's happened in Yemen or what's happened in Syria or what's happened in Afghanistan. There's a, there's a big Middle Eastern base and they're in El Cajon. So your parents are first generation, um, come to the United States and little Alan decides at what point he wants to be in radio. So I, I, um, I grew up, uh, I got hooked on the Lakers at a very young age. So I was like, I did not know that. Yeah, I know. I know. It's very random. Very <laughs> random. I'm like, I'm like seven years old or something like that. And I think it's just one of my cousins was a Laker fan. So I just, you know, started following him, but I loved basketball. And so I, I didn't catch the magic Johnson days for me was not Showtime Lakers. It was 1990 with Vlade and Eldon Campbell and, it was some of those other players. So um, I just loved Lakers basketball. So if you loved Laker basketball at any era over the last 40, 50 years, you knew who the hell Chick Hearn was. You knew sure. who Stu Lance was. So it, it's there was one opportunity a year down in San Diego. They'd have the preseason game down in SD. They played at oh yeah, and that in that shithole, the uh, San Diego yeah. Sports Arena just yeah. to dump. Yeah, yeah still there and still a <laughs> shithole. Um, but, but they would get one game a year that they would play uh, in San Diego. And I just idolized Chick Hearn idolized. And anytime, even if I'd go back, you know, magic was my favorite player growing up. So anytime I'd go back and watch old videos of magic, it's chick on all the calls. So whether I was watching games that were going on or I was listening to old school chick with magic in the showtime era, it was chicken, and chicken, and chicken. And. So a couple of times I went to the Lakers preseason game. One of the things, you know, my parents, they would always, you know, try to, if they could take me there, they would take me there. And I would wait and ch I would wait for the game to end. Chicken stew would finish their broadcast and they were nice enough on a couple of different times to just a quick hello. And I was hooked from there. So I, I think from, from a young age, 
in my head, it's like, well, that's what they do. Uh, and they get to watch Laker games and this and that. I was, I was, you know, those were my idols and certainly Chick Hearn was. So was that part of kind of what broke you out of this? Like Laker basketball is this common language, right? When you know Chick and you know Stu, you know, all the, all the legends and all the players over the years, it almost becomes you're in the no in the club part of the common language. Did you ever feel different? And, and Laker basketball was what made you feel like you belonged. My entire life. I have either played basketball or watched basketball. I have a really like, I love basketball. If tomorrow there's a college basketball game on, I, I'm not telling you that I'm going to go watch it because the chances are probably not that high, but I can watch that game and just very naturally tell you, okay, this is happening. That's happened. This player's got to do this, that. Like, I feel like there's just like an analysis of the game that is so uh, genuine. I'm not, you know, it's just my love of basketball. I think it was that more than anything else. And then on top of it, it was, you have these iconic people, you have the iconic brand. It was, you know, they went through a phase in the nineties when I was, when it was probably my favorite team. They were so bad too. Like, you know, they weren't, when I say so bad as in it wasn't the traditional you were winning. So now you were like prideful for the team that wasn't winning. There was something, there was some allure to that. So I, I think it was, it wasn't, I don't think it was anything more than that. I think it was just like, honestly, like something that you felt inside of you that I genuinely like what this is. I don't see this as something, um, it was almost became like a hobby to enjoy basketball. So um, I know that your your background prior to being on the air um, was in sales and marketing. How did you make the transition to being an on-air talent? So I always thought, you know, I graduated from San Diego State University. My degree was in communications with an emphasis in journalism. I always thought I was going to be, to what extent, I don't know, but I always felt like, hey, there will be a microphone in front of me at some point. It could be an hour a week. It could be what it is now. Like it, I didn't know what that looked like, but I it was, it was something that I wanted to fulfill, I guess is the best way to put it. When I graduated, I was um, working at a sports radio station down in San Diego. I was an intern and then I got into promotions and then I was there just long enough to where, um, you know, Steve, I know, you know, John Lynch, back in the days with John. So John Lynch used to run the radio station. He was pushing me towards going on the business side and somebody who is, um, John Lynch is one of the, the founders, you can call it of, you know, one of the pioneers in the sports talk radio. Yeah, I mean, world. John Lynch, just if, if you're listening or for, for you, maybe Sue, John Lynch, uh, owned a company called uh, Noble Broadcast Group, owned a company, uh, became part of j became part of, I mean, grew like crazy. But the idea was he was the very first guy to plant his flag on the West Coast and say, we're going to do an all sports radio station. And I was part of that lineup. Ireland was part of that lineup. It was a really, really cool time. It was a cool era. And John, uh, crazy though he may be, was crazy about you know, the business too. And I love anybody who, who loves local radio. So with that said, it's John, you know, here's somebody that is like you were just mentioning Mace, one of the best in the industry for what he did. 
Um, when he's telling you, hey, I think you should go down this lane, there's really no kind of questioning it. Um, and he embraced me and he was willing to help me. What, why was he helping this 21, 22 year old on the business side? But he was. So to answer, so I think in a, in a weird way, I went to the business side because I was asked to go to the business side. And then that, that's where I felt like, all right, well, I'm in the building. So if this is what I'm going to be doing for the time being, that's okay. But I always had it in my mind. Eventually, I was going to try to pursue something. And wherever it went, it went. If it failed miserably, it failed miserably. If it gave me more opportunities, it gave me more opportunities. But I always kind of knew that that's something that I was going to, at the right time, I guess timing is everything, it was going to be fulfilled. Now, did you did you go to the powers that be and say, I want to be on air? I mean, how did it manifest? So here's here's actually exactly how that happened. Four years, I was in San Diego doing the business side. I felt like it was coming to an end there. For whatever reasons, I felt like it was coming to an end there. Um, 570 just lost the Laker broadcast and they were going to go over to 710. So this would have been 2009. This would have been 2009. So I just started a full-blown, can I end up in Los Angeles on the Lakers radio broadcast doing sales still, right? Like the idea is still not, has nothing to do with the on-air side of it. And um, I, you know, over a course of time was given an opportunity to come up here on the business side. And once I was in the doors, this was in 2009, September, 2009 was my first day at 710 ESPN. Once I was in the doors, it was okay. Let's just focus on the business side. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I, I was given, Mace, you remember Mike Thompson. Oh yeah. So I had already been. Mike Thompson the, was our program director for a long time. So. Okay. I, I had already been in the business side for over five years at this point at 710. And one day I remember this. I was uh, I was leaving to go out to the East Coast. I was going to go to a game at Fenway Park and I was mm-hmm. going to go visit some friends and family out there. And um, and I it was like my last day before I was going to leave. And I did not know how the hell to get it out of me. How do I tell Mike Thompson that I have some interest on the on-air side? Like I've just kind of Mace, you know how our hallway is between the sales side and where his office used to be? Sure. I just sitting in the kitchen. I'm like, I'm like, what is this guy going to say? when He's probably going to tell me, bro, go sell an ad or something. Like, what are you talking about? Right. And um, I, I, I kind of got the courage to just tell him that, um, hey, if you don't mind, I just want to come in on the weekends. Um, my degree is in broadcast journalism. If I can just practice. That's all I'm asking. I don't need anything. But if I just had access to practice in one of those studios, it would mean uh, the world to me. And that he gave me the green light. And then from there, it was like, all right, game on. Let's go to work. So was there or was there not a period where you were doing the on-air stuff without being compensated? Um, my f- was I doing on air? Yeah, there was because I was doing some like occasional fill-in stuff. Right. And Lakers talk was not, had not started yet. Okay. It essentially got to the point where I got Lakers talk, which was once a week on a Saturday following Dr. Clapper. And I think at that point, 
that's when they just came with the, the briefcase of money. Yeah, you know, exactly. Just, that's just when bags, they started paying through the bags of money on Saturday <laughs> at 10, 10 a.m. So do you, uh, you work solo more than just about anybody at the station. You do Lakers talk solo. You, you've done a lot of solo stuff. Do you like working solo? Because now you're working with Travis every morning. Do you like working solo? I like the Laker coverage solo. I like when I feel like I um, I get into a zone of just I really can. It's my favorite way of doing radio is this little world that I get into where I could talk Lakers basketball. And I love taking like I love talking to Laker fans. So like that ability to. When you do have a solo show, I think it opens up that opportunity for other voices, right? So that like one-on-one, -on -one, whether in a post-game show or whether on Lakers Talk, um, that's that's a cool world to be in. Travis and Sliwa show, um, I much rather work on a Monday through Friday show doing a show with somebody else. I, I Just through trial and error, I feel like that's where I'm at my best is if I'm doing a show with somebody else. So I want to ask you, in all the years that you've been doing Lakers talk and, you know, you, you make predictions on who's going to win series and whatever, what would you say the percentage of your predictions you've gotten right? Mm, that's a good question. I think I'm 50%. And that's that. And let, let me kind of explain this because I thought, I'll use as an example, I thought the Russ thing was the right move. Yep. Bring Russ. Bring, Bring Russ, Russ to the Lakers. You got a third star. What are you going to really ask him to do? You got LeBron. You got Anthony Davis. This guy doesn't have to do that much and just have looked awful for a year. But I will say, Sue, the one thing that I, like, I really, really, really try to do, if I miss on something, I'll remind listeners that I missed on it. The, I, I, I have a very difficult time of like, nobody's batting a hundred, you know, a, a thousand. Nobody's hitting everything out of the park. Like, it's just, I hate the, hey, when I told you or when I said this or something on those lines, I think you got to embrace when you're wrong. And I think the more times you do embrace where you got something wrong, I feel like the audience has this, okay, well, if he's going to tell me when he's wrong, then, you know, whether he's mentioning times that he's been right, whether he does it or he doesn't, I feel like I can trust him because he's also admitting when he's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of integrity to that. I think I the think. best anybody, is can, uh, anybody can hope to do is 50-50. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, I mean, I've, we've covered sports for years. I think probably flip of a coin, I get half of stuff, right? I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think my, you know, 52, 40, maybe it's a blackjack table. Maybe you get a little bit more of an edge. Uh, but I'm telling you, for the most part, it's 50, 50. When I hear somebody say, I'm a professional sports gambler, I'm like, I, I just, I never believe that. I just don't believe you can make a living guessing for all intents and purposes. So I want to throw a couple of weird things at you. What is, because you're a very thoughtful guy, what is the uh, most important book that you could recommend to people? I, I read, it, this one I, I think just depends on if um, you have a interest in this. Okay. I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was probably 20, 21 years old, something like that. It was recommended to me. 
And I like real estate. Like if there's, if there's anything that I do on the side, um, I like real estate. So I thought that book for me at that age really made me think of um, business in a different way, saving money in a different Describe way. Describe the book. I, I actually don't know. I've heard the name, but I don't think I know the book. Robert Kiyosaki is the author. Okay. So okay. Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He had a rich dad that was more of a um, um, some a mentor, somebody he looked up, loved to. And then he had his biological dad, which was he described as his poor dad. And the poor dad was the guy that went to the university, got his degrees, got his master's, worked for a company, had a 401k set up, paid his share of taxes, did what they tell you to do in that like exact, you do it this way. This is how you, this is how you grow up in the United States of America. And this is how you retire in the United States of America. You go by that book. The rich dad was, um, as, as, as best as you can save X amount of dollars, uh, on a monthly basis, go get your first rental property. Once you go get your first rental property, start your own LLC so that you have for tax purposes, you mm -hmm. have the benefit of writing a lot of things off. I, I don't look, there's think and grow rich. There's, there's really great books that are out there that are more motivational, this book just hit me a different way because when I was 20, 21 years old and I read that, um, it got me also down a path that I didn't know that I could get down to where you can own a couple of rental properties or you can, you know, do things along those lines. Do I you own that, a couple of rental properties now? Yeah, I do. You do? Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, I do. Uh, where, where are they? Uh, El Cajon, California. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Area you're familiar with. Well, Very here's, nice. here's what's funny. Just, you know, I, um, I got really into that book and then, um, you know, kind of as best as I can kind of tried to follow, Hey, can I, is there, is this something that I can actually bring into my own life? I bought my first property when I was probably maybe 25, 26 years old. And Steve, if I told you, if they said, Hey, um, the housing market will never get any higher. This is the absolute worst time to buy. That's where I think I signed. I was <laughs> like, I'm ready, guys. I'm ready. But through some trial and error and through, you know, obviously over the years, just uh, having the ability to kind of learn from some of your mistakes. Uh, that, that, that's one that really stands out to me is that book. Hmm. Okay. Movie that has made the biggest impression on you in life. Extend it to TV if it helps. I'll tell you, this is a random one that comes to my mind. Um, Ali, when that came out. The Will Smith version. Yep. When that came out. I didn't, it's not like I knew all that much about Muhammad Ali. And every time, and just this is, I'm going to keep this kind of into the sports world. Mm -hmm. Every time you heard the name Ali, you're like, oh yeah, Muhammad Ali. Um, wow. Interesting. Uh, what an unbelievable boxer. Did I really know all the storylines behind him? I, the only reason why I kind of mentioned that is because we always look at some of the greatest athletes of our, in the world of our generation of our time. And we pay so much attention to what they do in a boxing ring on the field, on the court, whatever the case is, that movie kind of changed the way I view sports in a sense. Ali stopped doing what he was doing 
because he didn't want to fight in a war. He thought, I have a bigger war in this country. Why am I going to go fight and kill people across the globe when I have more issues with the people in this country? Like he stood for something and I'm not, I'm not telling you that was the first time you've ever kind of, you know, but I think in the sports world for someone like myself, I'm like this guy, um, he didn't give a rat's ass about anything else. It was, I I have an opportunity to do something. It doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do it. That that's incredibly impactful. It made me kind of follow Ali much more and look into his history and watch some documentaries on him and everything else. And it, it took a movie with Will Smith for me to see that, but sometimes, he's great in it. By the way, he's fantastic yeah. in the movie. So that's that's one that comes to mind. Um, and I wish I don't know if that's the the best answer there, but that's definitely one that comes to mind. So what do you aspire to? You know, I, I think um, I'd be honest if if you'd have told me three years ago when I started doing just the programming side that I'm on air as often as I am. I would not have thought that was going to be the case, nor would I have told you that's the goal. Um, I think I've always wanted to run my own sports radio station. I've always like, really, that's always been something that's of um, high interest of me. And whether that happens, whether it doesn't, if it's in five years, if it's in 20 years, I don't have the answer for you, but I've always wanted to run a sports radio station. And I think I'm so happy that I spent, 14 years on the business side because I feel like I literally know everything on that end. Spent some time on the promotion side and then now kind of sitting in this incredibly unique seat where you're doing all these different things from a broadcast side. I feel like it's putting together this resume for eventually seeing if you can put all these pieces together. Huh. So all this has been leading up to this angle I want to I want to approach. So I've over the years and I've got more years in the business than you on air years for sure. Um, you develop a callus. Um, whereas people can say pretty much anything about me and I don't really give a fuck what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I think have been trying to develop this callus, Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where you are in the process. Are you at the point yet where who the fuck cares? How big is your callus? Yeah. We're working on it. I'm going to do some push-ups when we're done here. <laughs> see if I can get something on these, on these hands. Um, I think that's a work in progress for me. No question about it. Like just here's the best way that I can put it. I think there are times where, I, I like the make fun of myself jokes. I think those are the funniest to me. Yes. Right. Like when you can, it's the easiest thing to do. And people really like it when you give yourself your own little zinger. I think I have definitely, definitely am not accustomed to the, um, somebody taking a shot at me and I'm nowhere, you know, I'm nowhere to be found. Right. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> i'm at home minding my own business and someone's at twitter is telling me that mason is ripping you i'm like why is mason ripping me i'm not ripping him so i think that's uh that's a work in progress it's funny mason because we do have we have an interesting you and john 
are, I'm not kidding when I say this, it's one of the first times in my life where I can honestly say, what the fuck is going on in their heads? Like, why, why would I have anything to do with what the hell they're talking about? So that, that one, that one is a, that one's a work of progress. Can I, can I, can I tell you something? You know, we were talking about, we're talking about kind of the old school, you know, there is this like, where I come from and everything is so much about respect. Like yes. literally everything is so much about respect, <laughs> friendships, relationships, cousins don't talk to each other. Everything is like, there's a respect thing. When I jumped into this world, um, it is so much different. And I, I, I would say like, ultimately at the end of the day, I got to do a better job of just knowing that when people say something, first of all, fuck them. You know, yeah, like exactly like right. no matter what, just F them, don't even pay attention to it. The only thing that's got me is if I have had a personal conversation with somebody. Yes. And I, you know, <laughs> you open up to them. You feel like, hey, let me just be honest with this personal. I'm vulnerable here. Yes. Or hey, this. And then they just take it and are like, yeah, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. And they just go on there. It's like, all right, well, that's good. I could really trust that person with that information. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because the visual I had in my head when you said that you're sitting and you're minding your own business and then, you know, you hear somebody like, you know, talking shit about you. Just having like, a coffee, Sue. Just having just, a cup of just coffee. Having a, but my the visual in my head was that you're sitting there and all of a sudden it's like a blow dart. And like you get hit in the neck. Right <laughs> Whoa, where did that come? What did I do? That's, that's a good, that's a good uh, example of it. So what does angle. your family think about what you're doing now? Like, do they, do they know what it's, cause they're in Alcone. Do they know what it's like on a day-to-day basis? Do they know about all the goofing and the joking and the ribbing and the teasing and all that stuff? And how do they feel about it? To be honest with you, they don't. They don't know. They don't know much about it at all. I think for them, um, just real quick, I, do they do they listen to the show? Do they listen to your shows? Your family? Travis and Sliwa no. Um, Lakers talk, pregame show, postgame show. If I do some stuff on TV, you know, give them a heads up that I'm going to be doing something. But the Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to one. I think it's so much different than. Um, I had ever kind of envisioned for a daily show mm-hmm. and it's a mix of stuff that I think they have no interest in, or they have no, you know, it, it, Lakers basketball, they could probably relate to more all the other shit that we talk about. They have no idea what I'm talking about. And I think there is mom uh, never wants to play factor cab. It's not a hundred percent. That one's not a hundred percent. Ask Slee. Come on. <laughs> I, I actually, I had a, I had a cousin come up for the awards who actually listens to the show. Same age as me came up for um, the awards on Friday. And he kept telling me, he's like, you should have got a table and invited some of your family. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should. It would have been, it would have been a big, uh, it would have been very different for them. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, well, listen, this has been, I feel like I'm coming away with a better understanding of who Alan Sliwa is. And by the way, this stuff doesn't, the stuff we talked about doesn't spill out on the air. Like the podcast stuff is the podcast stuff. Uh, This is a private conversation uh, we are having 
that will be listened to by a bunch of people. But I, it's not like I'm going to start telling these stories on the air. This is this is circle of trust kind of stuff here. So this what what happens in the podcast stays in the podcast. Yes, exactly right, exactly right. right. Well, I, I will say what's kind of funny too because you know, Mace. I know a while back we talked about potentially doing the podcast, and then um, and to do it too. I almost kind of for me. I wanted to have a little bit deeper of a conversation with you. Cause I think a lot of times we, you're right. We just kind of come to work. We do what we do and we're in our routine. And um, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting to have a conversation with a coworker that does so much on the air and, you know, is like so critical to what we do on a day-to-day basis, but we're kind of empty on how we know each other. Yeah, so yeah. I haven't, I haven't done a good enough job of just, also kind of building some of those relationships. So I'm glad to have done this as well. Yeah, I'm glad, man. I'm glad. Um, Alan Sliwa, our guest today. Great job, Alan. Thank really excited. Thank really you happy you did it. Um, Fun. Thank you very much for listening to the Culture Pop Podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe, rate, and review. Please do that. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. Culture Pop.